Are Christians required to vote for President Trump? Let's talk about it today on The Nonpartisan Evangelical. We're talking religion and politics on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Challenging the mindset of the partisan evangelical church and asking the question, is God really a conservative Republican? And does God require his followers to be? Podcasting worldwide on the NPE network at npepodcast.com. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast with the Nonpartisan Evangelical himself, your host, Paul Swearingen. All right, well, I hope I'm not the only one, but uh, glad you're with us on the NPE podcast today. I am Paul, and we have uh, a great guest to talk to today. His name is Doug Paget. Uh, now, just recently stepped out of leading a church called Solomon's Porch in Minneapolis. And uh, now living on a bus, he says, and driving around the country as executive director for a group called Vote Common Good. And we're going to talk about voting and voting values for Christians. And so, Doug, appreciate you being with us today. And and uh, you're kind of a Where's Waldo guy. Where where are, where is Doug today? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Paul. Uh, you know, we are um, somewhere outside of Cheyenne, Wyoming. Um, currently pulled over in a in a hotel parking a hilton hotel parking lot where uh, nine of us or so are sleeping on the bus and a few of our team are sleeping in a hotel so how long uh, how, how long have you been on the bus and how long are you planning to be on the bus uh overall not just yeah. today yeah thanks our, our vote common good uh, we call it the faith hope and love for a change on election day national bus tour started outside the white house on january 2nd and uh, then we traveled to Des Moines, Iowa, where we did a presidential candidate forum and uh, summit for leaders and activists, and um, then made our way uh, out to Denver for an event last night, and now we're uh, heading to Salt Lake City, and then ultimately on Sunday to Fresno, California, where we're going to have a great event. So uh, we've been, uh, I guess we've been on the move for 13 days now, and uh, we've got I think 294 days until election day. So still a lot to do. Wow. All right. Well, that's a, that's an, I've driven that uh, sort of Rocky mountain country before. So you'll, you'll see a lot oh, of yeah. stuff and uh, out there today. Well, if you've, if you've been in a, you know, we're, we travel in, uh, it's, it's like a touring bus. Yeah. Uh, actually the bus, the, the physical bus that we're in has had, uh, two other groups use the bus. It's a new, new bus. And, one of those was Guns N' Roses, and the other one, most recently, was Weird Al Yankovic. So um, <laughs> it, that, gives you, that gives you a scale of what we're up to. Um, uh, so you get in these buses, and you know you don't spend a lot of time looking out the windows, um, partly because we're working all the time. Uh, you know when we're here, because it's you know daytime work jobs. But uh, um, you also just you sort of get your focus becomes you know not the small windows in the bus, but rather what what the people that are in the bus and what's going on and real discipline to open your eyes and pay attention to what's going outside which we use as a metaphor by the way for this conversation that sometimes that thing that happens in religious communities yeah uh, it's very similar to what happens to you when you're in a bus right you sort of stop looking out the window and stop seeing outside and you become only consumed with what's happening inside and uh so we're we're, we're fighting that resistance uh we're, we're trying to resist that temptation 
all the time as we travel. <laughs> you can literally live in your own bubble, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> literally live in a, as you mentioned, you're, people off the bus or under the bus if we want, which we try not to do. <laughs> as you mentioned, you're going to be in Fresno. It's, it's this Sunday. We're recording this on Wednesday, the 15th. So Sunday, the 19th, if you're listening to this before then, plan to be out there. I'll have uh, the info on all my social media pages. Uh, it's going to be at the the uh, United Universalist, uh, I believe, church. And so tell us, what what is Vote Common Good, and, and what are you coming to bring to Fresno? Yeah, Vote Common Good is an intentional effort to reach out to faith-motivated voters, especially evangelicals and white Catholics, who... Uh, feel that voting for a Republican somehow is their responsibility and duty. And a lot of forces have gone into creating that impression in, in people's minds. And what we're trying to do is to help them understand that the common good and not allegiance to any political party should be your voting criteria. And the next step of that, which is important for us, is to make the argument that the reelection of Donald Trump would not be in the common good interest and that religiously motivated voters um, should consider strongly not voting for Donald Trump. And as we like to say, if you're a Republican, we're not trying to make you not be a Republican. We're just asking you to not vote for this one this next time and to consider even voting for a Democrat if that's something you've done in the past or something you'll do for the first time. Uh, because, you know, faith, uh, someone's faith ought to compel them to do something that they don't always do right it ought to bring you into a world where you do something new and these might be the conditions by which someone says well i've never voted for a democrat before but your faith might actually be calling you to do that because donald trump in my view is a hazard to this planet and to uh, all who live on it so that's um that's what we're trying to do i'll just make this point what we're not trying to do is to convince hardcore trump supporters to not be hardcore trump supporters um, our, our belief is that if the way Donald Trump behaves, the policies that his administration has sought to pass, the way that his policies have been implemented and the way he's used executive orders, if that doesn't cause you to not support Donald Trump, there's nothing we're going to be able to say that's going to do that for you. But if those issues have caused you to say, I don't think I can be uh, in alignment with this any longer, we want to encourage uh, those people and to help them uh, speak up and stand up about those issues in their own communities. You know, that's what I, I was about to ask uh, that. Uh, it, it seems to me when you say the, the hardcore Trump supporter, my experience is you're, you're not going to be able to speak to those people. That that uh, That's almost a, a, an eyes to see, ears to hear thing. Uh, but are, are you reaching more for somebody who maybe is a little more moderate, who feels like they have to vote for Trump because they're Republican, but they've had a hard time sort of standing by and feeling good about that vote. Yeah, that, that that's a really well, uh, well said, um, approach, uh, uh, the way to describe our approach, you know, um, you, you and I being working pastors, we know that often what you're trying to do is to connect what people think, what they value in their heart, what they feel in their gut with how they act in the world. Like those four components are what, make a human being sort of live consistently and, and together and what people are experiencing, even hardcore Trump supporters, many of them, I talk to them all the time is an awful lot of dissonance between what they think, what their values are and what their gut tells them is the right thing. 
And we are trying to say, if you're experiencing that, that is a indicator that you should consider something more than simply following your habitual patterns. Sometimes our habits are really good things and they keep us, you know, living our days and moving through our lives in, in good, positive ways. And sometimes our habits can become uh, destructive, repetitive uh, actions. And if someone's feeling that dissonance, what we want to do is to uh, encourage and strengthen them to follow that thing that's happening in their heart and happening in their gut. Um, so I hear it all the time. Just just yesterday, literally in Denver, I was at a meeting and a woman who voted for Trump uh, said to me, well, what was the alternative? And what's the alternative this time? And she, in her head, she was saying, I don't know what to do because the alternative voting for Democrats seems like something impossible. But she was saying that internally in her heart, as I would put it, or in her, you know, in her, in her sense or gut, she's saying, it's not right, but I don't know what the alternative is. This doesn't seem right, but I don't know what to do. And I was trying to say to her, you always have an option of doing the right thing. And in this case, the right thing might be to not vote for Donald Trump. And I said, I don't know, write in Bill Weld or write in Common Good or write in, you know, uh, a, a Republican that you've uh, always thought should be would make a great president. So you could fulfill your commitment to your political uh, party by voting for a Republican. But you don't have to go down the path of giving your penalty, the, 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 you know, the, the empathy of your heart but the power of your vote to someone who you watch on a regular basis uh, lie and disassociate and use violence in the military and separate children from their parents as an act of, of punishment for wanting to seek uh, asylum in this country. Like those are things you don't have to align yourself with that. And there is an option um, and it's not a choice between two bad options. You, you can find the good. So that's what we're trying to do with people is to give them a, uh, the encouragement and to engage. And, and Paul, I mean, other than your podcast, there's not a lot of places where, where people who are self-identified evangelicals can have conversations about politics. Um, the, the evangelical subculture has created a set of no-talk rules mm -hmm. and of social punishment if you violate um, uh, the the demand of the social conservatives and the fundamentalists. And I personally believe there's been a fundamentalist takeover of evangelical Christianity in the last 25 years, which I've tried to work against, you know, in a, in a flailing and failing effort. Um, they have, they've seemingly have taken it over almost completely. Uh, but a person doesn't have to be held hostage or bullied by the people in that world that tell them that, you know, Donald Trump is, quote, a miracle of the Lord, and you are required to support him. I mean, that is that is just, that is akin to the way that people in, in Germany spoke about Adolf Hitler and his rise and the way that the evangelical church supported the rise of the, of the Hitler regime. And it's dangerous. And we know just in 20th century history that people of good conscience and good faith can fall down that trap. And, uh, and I'm not trying to equate right. Donald Trump with Hitler. I'm trying to equate the voters in America who attribute gift of God to Hitler to the voters in America who try to attribute the gift of God to Donald Trump. Um, so it's the voters that we're speaking to uh, and not to uh, when I'm trying to condemn uh, the president of the United States. Yeah, I, I, and I appreciate you doing that because I, I know the, the Hitler comparisons for anybody is always a difficult one and we don't want to lose anybody in that. But I think, you know, I had somebody telling me something about Dietrich Bonhoeffer the other day. We love Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but... 
I always say if the church had risen up when it should have in Germany, there would have been no need for Bonhoeffer because Hitler would have never been able to to rise to power. And ultimately, you know, I always tell people I voted none of the above in the last presidential election because I, I want... I want to vote my faith. I want to vote for somebody, for something they stand for. And I didn't feel like I could vote for either one. And and I think if we're voting out of fear and if we're voting out of, you know, we're in trouble if, if it's not this bad option, then I don't see fear as being one of the, the, the fruits of the Spirit in the Bible. So I, I think we're, we're not voting out of our faith if we're voting out of a, I'm, I'm afraid of what happens if I don't vote this way, don't you think? I do, I do, and but then you know, I, and and we say that uh, in our events every night when we have them, and that's a big pitch of ours is you know, leaning fear and not faith. But then I think about myself, and I'm like, I am actually somehow terrified that the uh, religious people of this country will again say we think that Donald Trump is our best option. Mm-hmm. Like that really does scare me. So uh, yeah, I have a I have a bit of empathy for those who feel terrified by what they see as the Democratic Party being some kind of a some kind of a front for evil in the world. Yeah. Uh, I don't see it that way at all. I identify as a Democrat. I'm fully engaged there. Um, but I recognize that many people do feel that way about the Democratic Party. And I have a bit of empathy for why they do, because I feel like the Trump version of republicanism is a manifestation of, um, of, of heartache and of pain and of um, uh, immorality in this country that, uh, like I have never seen before. So I, I get it, and I, and I do want to call people to not live into fear, um, but uh, the response to fear has to be some sort of a step out in, in faith, hope, and love, which is why we use faith, hope, and love as the moniker of our of, of our tour. So it's really hard. These are look, these are difficult times that we're in, and uh, how religious people, especially evangelicals, engage in politics in uh, a representative form of democracy, um, that, that is not a clear path. We're, you know, as we do in this country in our, the, the formation of our political system, we're making this up as we go along. And this is a new twist. And there is no, there is no uh, handbook for this. You know, we're going to, we're going to have to do improv here uh, to figure out our, our best path forward. Um, I, I really concur with your statements about Bonhoeffer, right? That look, if you had, uh, responded in the 20s and 30s if the church had and other people of conscience uh, then you know uh, uh, what what needed to take place uh, to try to stop Hitler with war and, and assassination attempts would need to be done and apparently uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer someone just said this at our event the other day has this great quote that he said you never can be too early in resisting evil but you can be too late mm. so don't be too late and I don't know if that was a self uh, uh, admission or some kind of a confession or something else. But I, um, I, I do think, you know, look, you could be, you could be too late on, on these things. And, um, and, and I wouldn't be out traveling the country and trying to get religious people to, to do this. I've never done this before. Um, you know, I like to tell people, look, I, I've, I haven't lost an elect, a presidential election based on my, you know, who I voted for until 2016. So someone can do the math on that and realize that I voted for George Bush twice. You know, I'm not proud of that that second time I voted for him, but I felt like in the middle of a war, you know, I had all kinds of thinking in my head back in 2004 that, that allowed that to make sense. So I'm not 
and all of us on this bus and then this tour, we're not, it's not like, oh, we're, we're just uh, political warriors and we're now taking, you know, a new front and attacking religious people. Uh, we're trying to say, this is not normal. And this is really, really dangerous and bad. Um, so, yeah, I guess we are, we are a bit alarmist in that sense, right? That's why we're traveling the country and trying to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars to make this kind of work happen. Um, is because we really do think there's a there's a, a, a profound hazard uh, in front of uh, currently happening in this country and in front of us. Hi everyone, it's Paul. Sorry to interrupt this great conversation, but I want to ju just jump in for a moment, tell you about a couple of great events that we have coming up on the Nonpartisan Evangelical. But first, let me say, hey, maybe this conversation is, is a little bit uncomfortable for you. Maybe it's a little bit painful. That's okay. Then the, We have three key things we're trying to do with the Nonpartisan Evangelical. And number one is this, we want to challenge the mindset of evangelicals and the evangelical church, because we think it needs to be challenged. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to the age in which you live. Don't be conformed to your bubble, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So so our our purity with our thought is not God's goal. It's to allow our thought to be challenged so that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And what happens when our mind is renewed? Romans 12, 2 says, so you then can know the good and perfect will of God. That if you're not allowing your thoughts to be challenged, you can't know the true and good will of God. And so hang in there with us on this conversation. If it's uncomfortable, that's good. That's what God wants you to do is really know why and what you believe in. So thank you for hanging in there. Here's the two events I have coming up that I'm really excited about. One is the Joseph Comes to Town audiobook series. And the other is called Old Pastor, New Conversations. It's a Millennials and Gen Zers discussion group we have coming up. First, let me tell you about the Joseph audiobook series. Uh, I wrote the, my novel and it just came out at the end of 2019. It's called Joseph Comes to Town When the Religious Right Goes Religiously Wrong. It's my view of what Jesus would say about the religious right and the partisan evangelical church were he in the flesh on earth today. And you can read that book. It's available on Amazon. There's a link on the NPPodcast.com website. Tells you all about it at the Joseph Comes to Town book link. But now you're going to be able to hear what Jesus would say through my audiobook and the audiobook series. We're going to release it a few chapters at a time, and we're going to do it that way so that we can have discussion around it. I can record commentaries, and it's all going to be available on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Patreon page. Patreon's where we raise a little bit of support for this to pay our expenses and kind of keep things going. I stepped out of my job as a lead pastor of a church in 2019 so that I could start sharing this message that that I felt like God had for me to give. And so the support for that just comes through our Patreon page and we do some fun things over there. And I'm really excited about the audiobook series with my commentary, uh, a Facebook group for discussion around the book and a whole lot of other things like that. So join us there. If you click the events button on my npepodcast.com Patreon page, it'll tell you all the information there. The other exciting event I have coming up is I just have such a heart for millennials and Gen Zers and younger people who are sort of looking at what's happening in the politically uh, partisan evangelical church and saying, that's not really me. I, I don't really fit the politics of the evangelical church. So they're, they're not only walking away from the church, they're walking away from their faith. And I want to encourage those young people 
that God is not saying you have to believe as your grandparents believed. Your faith can be very different and your politics can be very different than that of your grandparents and God still want to connect with you. I think the answers to life in a lot of ways are in what we read in the Bible and the life Jesus modeled and I want you to be able to access that young people and so I want to affirm you and kind of tell you we're going to deal with some questions that the evangelical church is very uncomfortable to deal with like what does the Bible really say about abortion? What does the Bible say about homosexuality and how did Jesus demonstrate how to interact with people of different gender identities or races or other forms of marginalization, immigration, and those things. We're going to talk about them. We're going to let you share your ideas. I'm going to share mine as an older pastor, but mostly my goal is to affirm you, millennials and Gen Zers. I see something amazing in this generation coming up. I think God's going to do something incredible with you, and I want to be able to affirm that for you. So join us at Old Pastor New Conversation. Conversations. Again, go to my website, npepodcast.com, click on the events button, and it will tell you all the information to join us. Joseph, the audiobook series, and Old Pastor New Conversations, the Millennials and Gen Zers discussion group. I want you to join these. Now, some of this is uh, around Fresno for the discussion group, but I'm willing to do it online if you're interested. If you're not really around the area where I live, I'm still willing to have that discussion online. So go click that events button on NPPodcast.com. Let me know you'd like to be involved. Now, having done that commercial, thanks for hanging in there with me. Let's get back to our great conversation with Pastor Doug Paget, the Executive Director of Vote Common Good. We're talking with Doug Paget, who's the executive director of Vote Common Good. They're going to be here in Fresno on Sunday, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, before January 19th, I believe Sunday is. Um, and uh, you can get the information on how to get to that event in Fresno if you're in our area um, on there. But uh, I, want to, I, I want to emphasize that point. You're, you're not just a, another evil liberal Democrat coming in hating Donald Trump and hating the deplorable uh, Christians that support him. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We hope so. Um, look, and we, uh, you know, I, I feel that I am part of this, of the community, uh, the same community that supports Donald Trump. I've spent my adult life in the religious evangelical world and in that industry as a pastor and as a writer and, you know, uh, make, you know, making my living off of the evangelical industry. So I feel in some ways that my DNA, like all the rest of us is all over this crime scene. That the, that the people of good conscience and good faith of this country did not stand up and oppose Donald Trump first in the nomination process and then in the election in 2016. Um, so uh, th- this is not a throwing stones from the outside effort. This is a, uh, a call, uh, uh, hopefully a prophetic call from the inside to try to say, we cannot keep doing this. The common good needs to be the call for all people of faith that we call one another to join the community of common good in the world. And this is Jesus's proclamation and teaching, I believe, right? Uh, You should join the kingdom of God. You should join the common good where, as I like to, as I heard said once, where everyone has enough and no one has to be afraid. Hmm. That's what we call everyone to live into. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to call the people of faith of this country to wake up, speak up and stand up and then to step into that community of common good with all other people of good conscience and good faith in our in our political system. 
um, not attacking. And so at the, at the rallies, I get to say lots of little kind of cliche lines because you have to put sort of a, a running show together to do this kind of thing, you know, 50 yeah. times, 100 times, or 150 times over the course of a year. Um, and I mean this really sincerely, too, what I'm about to say, but it's also one of my lines from the, from the event that we do. Uh, I, I say, look, as a Christian and as a pastor, I believe that everyone is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They're the beloved child of God. Nothing you can do about it. You are loved and beheld by God. But not every light of the world should be the president of the United States. <laughs> Donald Trump needs to take his little lights, his little dim light, and let it go shine someplace else and stop wreaking havoc on the world order and on the people of the United States. This is not just personal, and this is not hatred against. Um, you know, some of your listeners might not know or like the fact that Nancy Pelosi uh, said to a reporter who asked her if she hated Donald Trump, she uh, you know, was, was quite taken aback by that and said, I do not hate. I have a heart full of love, and I pray for the president every day. Mm-hmm. And I hold that same kind of attitude. As a human being, he's a beloved child of God, wounded and broken like all the rest of us. But he is fundamentally incapable of fulfilling the role of being the chief executive of the executive branch of the federal government, and we need to let him be freed up from that obligation and stop being the president of the United States. And if people conflate not voting for someone with meaning I have hatred in my heart for them, they might want to look into their own hearts, frankly. Like if you didn't vote for Hillary Clinton because you hated her, do not think that all of us who don't vote for Donald Trump is for the same reason that you didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. And I would ask people to, you know, sort of uh, to, to let the hate from their heart go and rather to say, look, Politics is about using the power of your vote to enact a, a um, an administration and a representative to live and behave in a particular way. Uh, but you know, look, once you've said a, a series of sentences as long as I just did, people, you know, they <laughs> they stopped listening a long time ago, right? They're like, oh yeah, what's he talking about? So, uh, yeah, so so yeah, we're not. I, I hope we're not full of hatred. Um, you know, we we try to have a very faith and hopeful and uh, loving, but also clear call that we cannot tolerate this any longer. It is, it is in my view, I mean, I thought Donald Trump was a damaging force as a candidate because mm-hmm. of the way he chose to comport himself. One of the things we have in our, in our, on our tours, we ask people to make a couple of pledges. One of the pledges is to pray for the president. We ask people to do that, and we have, we have resources that help them do that on our website. We ask people to take a commitment uh, that we call I'll go first. And the I will go first campaign is that people would be the first in their community or in their friendship to speak up about not voting for Donald Trump or speaking out against what he does, trying to break the no talk rules. And the third uh, pledge that we ask people to take is called the love in politics pledge, where we ask voters to commit to supporting candidates who will comport themselves in their public and political lives in a way consistent with love. Secondly, they'll support that candidate. Third, that they will call out and stand up to that candidate whenever they don't comport themselves in a way consistent with love. And fourthly, that they would call their elected representatives to hold their colleagues to a standard of love and not do this, well, I wouldn't say it that way, kind of backpedaling. And then we offer to people 1 Corinthians 13 as a framework for love if that's if, if they're looking for an understanding of love and you know look you 
you read First uh, Corinthians 13 uh, and, and you ask yourself, how does how does Donald Trump as a politician and elected official and uh, people in his cabinet, does it comport itself with patience and kindness and a lack of envy and not boasting and not being proud and not dishonoring others and not self-seeking and not being easily angered? and not keeping a record of wrongs and not delighting in evil, but rejoicing with the truth and always protecting, always trusting, always hoping and always persevering. Like you just, it's, and if someone wants to say, well, I do not hold the president of the United States to a biblical standard of love, that's a fair argument to make. But I don't find a lot of people of faith who want to say, you know what, in my personal life and our church life and my social life, I want to call people to act in loving ways. But when it comes to politics, go ahead and be the opposite of all of these. Be impatient. Be cruel. Yeah. Based it on envy. Boast all the time. Dishonor others. Like, what are what on earth? And, and if Christians are saying to themselves, well, he represents my values, and your values are not those, and your values are not uh, caring for children at the border, and your values are not not using war, weapons to assassinate uh, members of other governments in third party countries. And like, it is, it is indefensible to say that the president of the United States actions, behaviors, policies represent a Christian. Because if the only thing you have on your category of what represents you as a Christian from a political perspective is who judges are and where our embassy is in Israel, this is not a legitimate version of being a person of the Christian faith. Right. So, um, you know, I'm getting a little preachy here. Uh, <laughs> that's but, good stuff. But, but that, but but part of it is that 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 people who are who are opposed to Trump, we become mealy mouth and we become quiet and we become uh, non, you know, we get non engaged and um, and we sort of say like, oh, well, these people are lost. They're a lost cause. And look. I, I have this evangelical spirit and heart, and I believe that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. And and I think that you know um, that people don't they they don't know the good news unless they hear it, and they're not going to hear it unless someone tells them, and no one's going to tell them unless they're sent. So we are going around the country trying to commission people and saying, at least from our vantage point, we want to send you into the world and to say these things and to speak up. And people ask us all the time, like, why aren't you worried about only only preaching to the choir at your events and all? Because they're like, well, are people who support Trump here? So why would you do a rally? You know, isn't this, and they use this wonderful metaphor of preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. And you know, Paul, you and I know, having been pastors for years, we've known a lot of choirs. <laughs> and choirs need some good preaching. And the problem <laughs> is that the choir in this nation has become a beleaguered choir. It's a choir that's singing off note or not singing at all. It's a choir that's lost its tune. It's a choir that needs some preaching. It needs to be called together and extend that metaphor. Churches that have a robust choir tend to have a robust community that people come to. Like, like people are not going to listen to us. They're going to listen to people that they care about uh, if they're a Trump supporter. So if we can help those people that are in this metaphorical choir to sing a new tune in a way that other people will dance with that music, then that's what we want to do. Yeah, that's interesting. And then I love the first Corinthians 13 analogy. That's brilliant. And, and particularly the first verse, which says, hey, if I have everything right, but I'm not sharing it with love, then I'm just a clanging gong. And so even if all of that is right about Donald Trump, but the, but the spirit that we're feeling out of it is not a spirit from heaven, 
you know, then it's Jesus turning to James and John and saying, hey, you don't know the spirit you're of right now. And and it's not a good one. Totally. And and I think that's, and that's really the message. I, I guess my question for you is, is, if you're able to peel off enough evangelical voters, because it was a razor thin victory for, for Donald Trump in 2016, and and we get him out, you know, what happens then? Because I, I think this spirit in the church predates Donald Trump. He's I think he's more of a manifestation of it ultimately than than the absolute problem itself. And how do we change this mindset as a whole of uh, the, the evangelical church? And you mentioned the white Catholics as well. How do we get us out of that mode of thinking, uh, getting anti-abortion judges on the Supreme Court is everything I vote for. And if everything else is wrong, God is still going to demand that I vote this way. Yeah, you know, it. it I, I get nervous ever about trying to uh, utilize the the prophets of of Israel in 21st century Christian context, right? I think we have to be very careful about mm-hmm. doing that. But from that faith community's experience to ours, it feels to me a bit like Micah the prophet saying, what does the Lord require of you? Not sacrifices, not more blood. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? You've gotten the story wrong. You thought it was about this, but it's about this. And then in the Jesus tradition, he would say it this way. You have heard it said. Right. But I say to you, right? So this idea that people have been told that our primary call is for judges on the Supreme Court to stop abortion. I know you've been told that. That is not the extent of your call. And that is it, to gain that whole success, as you would call it, and lose your very soul is not what God calls you to. So this idea that people have that voting for a presidential candidate via some bank shot, that then you're going to appoint judges who then are going to make it possible for us to amend the Constitution down the road is the kind of fallacy, first of all, that evangelical Christians and white Catholics have been have been swindled with since Roe versus Wade. It's. Now, I'm in, these, I'm in conversations about abortion every day because mm-hmm. of this work that I do, and I know people listening will disagree with me strongly, but the United States Supreme Court is not going to make abortion illegal in this country. Even if they put some limitations on what states can do, uh, on what the federal government can mandate, even if they did, which I do not think they will, it's going to become a state's rights issue, and it's going to be activated in the states. And if what you want to do is to reduce the number of abortions, there's ways you do that. And statistically, what you would know is that when there's democratic politics and policies in place, abortions go down. When Republicans' policies are in place, abortion goes up. So if you're trying to stop the number of abortions, you're doing exactly the wrong thing. But if what you're trying to do is to legislate morality because you want to make sure that the United States is not judged by God, for a policy on abortion that you believe God will judge this country, then I think, first of all, you have a wrong theory of how God chooses to to bless or to judge a country. I think that's totally, because you can't say, oh, yes, you can be a country of war, you can be a country of injustice, you can be a country that oppresses the poor, you can be a country that is, that is boastful and rude and mean, but as long as abortion isn't legal, then God's going to bless us. Like, 
this is the kind of thing that as a, as a past working pastor and as a the public theologian, you just say to yourself, there is no logic to this idea that I should be only voting for presidential candidates based on their promise to do something with judges. And look, so I, I've had this conversation, I just had it the other day with a man, a uh, Baptist preacher from uh, just outside of Houston. He told me I could share this publicly, so I'm glad to. And he called and wanted to ask us about abortion and all of this. We had this whole conversation about if Roe versus Wade would be overturned. And he, uh, I said to him, hey, would you be willing to do a thought experiment with me? If tomorrow morning you woke up to the news that overnight Elizabeth Warren had had an epiphany that abortion was immoral and that the United States needs to uh, overturn Roe versus Wade, would you then consider voting for Elizabeth Warren? And he was honest and he said, well, boy, when you put it that way, no, I wouldn't because then I would have to think about religious freedom. <laughs> then I would have to think about guns. And I'm telling you, any listener here, ask them that, have, have master friends that question. Would you then? And I promise you they wouldn't. So this notion that this is a single issue that people are voting on I want to say is simply not true because they are opposed to Democrats for a whole set of reasons. And to use abortion as your cover for your views on taxes, guns, religious freedom, and to use, I want to protect babies, I find to be a real problem. And secondly, I said to this very nice man, I said, hey, you've told me that you believe that abortion is the great human atrocity of our age. And I said, can I just ask you, what do you do in your life beyond not voting for Democrats to stop abortion? Because if you're telling me this is the greatest human atrocity and 50 million people have been slaughtered and your response to that is I won't vote for a Democrat. That is such a, an unreasonable uh, response. You might be one of the more immoral people that I have ever, that I've ever spoken with on this issue. How could your response to a human atrocity be, I'm just not gonna vote for a Democrat? You don't spend your money there, you don't spend your time, this is not the work you're doing, and yet you're telling me it's the most important thing that drives your sense of righteousness and morality in this world. And you look at your own life, and you know, this is where you and I as pastors see people all the time. If you profess with your mouth, but you do not believe in your heart and live in your life, then you've made a mockery of this. Right. So I'm just frankly fed up with people telling me, oh, well, you know, I've got the moral high ground here uh, on these issues um, uh, because I don't think they do. And I think they're frankly being dishonest sometimes. Now, look, I know a lot of people heavily engaged in the pro-life movement and I honor them and respect them. And I think it's a a valid argument to have in our country uh, of the pro-life and the pro-choice movement. And I don't want to dishonor people, but when people use that as a cover, which so often they do, my friends that work in the pro-life world, they say to me regularly, if all these evangelical Christians who say that their primary call in life is to not, you know, is to overturn Roe versus Wade, if they would work with us in the work that we, we do to try to eliminate the number of, reduce the number of abortions, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And they tell me, but they don't, they don't give their money. They don't give their time. The only thing they do is every four years for president and every, you know, couple of years for some local representative, 
become self-righteous about the fact that they won't vote for a Democrat. So there was a tirade. That is, and, and it's it's a it's an absolutely vital one because it is the linchpin of ultimately this mindset of we have to vote Republican. Um, and I, 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 those are those are great uh, texts that you're sharing there, and I, I, I want to, I will use those. But and I try to tell people all the time: Do you think God's goal is for us to pass a law criminalizing people, or to make there be less abortions in America? Which is the goal? Because when Alabama and Missouri passed their law to severely strict abortion, support for abortion in polls shot up immediately to significantly higher numbers than it had been before. And so our extreme on this issue creates an extreme on the other side that is just as illogical. And so I think you're right. If we if we could just uh, say, I- I'm not telling you God loves abortion. That, that's not the question here. The question is, how do we have less unwanted pregnancies? God actually provides answers for that through his people, the church. But we don't get to share that with people on the other side anymore because we're too busy fighting a war. And out of that war, we're losing the message of the Bible. And that, to me, that's ultimately what this is all about, is the gospel of the Bible is being hurt. Our integrity to share God's word is being hurt. And that's where I want people to see your desire to have justices on the Supreme Court is actually harming the very thing that could help the issue you're trying to resolve. Well, that's really well said. Yeah. So that's if we could unhook that. And the other thing that I think is really funny and sort of ironic is people tell me all the time, you know, Romans 13 says, you know, obey authority. Peter admonishes us to obey authority because they're all put in there by God. But I never hear anybody say that about our governor in California. I hear it a lot from people about President Trump. And then I say, oh, so then you feel that way about Gavin Newsom. And then they're like, well, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> so they don't quite feel the same. And, and that's the thing I want to get people in touch with is you're, you're quoting scripture about King Cyrus for Trump, but you don't believe that for Gavin Newsom or Nancy Pelosi. You may have chosen to be a part of a partisan spirit rather than actually following God and all of that. Yeah, it's not funny. Like they didn't feel that, wouldn't have felt that way had Hillary Clinton won the election. And they certainly didn't feel that way when Barack Obama was the president. I never heard one of those people say, hey, I need to honor the president because he was placed there by God. Never heard it. And then they say, well, Donald Trump was. I mean, and that's the kind of thing that makes you say, those of us who do this work, um, publicly it's just a misuse you are you know jesus would say you are you 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 have misunderstood or misquoting the scriptures to your own detriment like look you're not even damaging the world you're damaging yourself right and please please stop the self-harm and i don't know why so many religious people are so committed to a narrative of self-harm um you know that they just do and say things that uh, don't bring benefit to them uh, in, in any way, shape, or form. It, it doesn't make sense. You know, the truth sets you free. The truth does not need to be hidden by some sort of angry rhetoric. Now, it's been awesome talking to you today, Doug. We just have a couple more minutes. What, what is it that you ultimately want the takeaway to be from people for vote, vote Common Good? What do you want them to do? What's, what's the what of Vote Common Good ultimately? Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, we, we want people to get on the bus with us, whether that's uh, literally, and we are traveling the whole country. We're going to all 50 states before the primaries, and then we're going to focus our energies in, 
states where we think uh, the most impact is on the Electoral College from May through November. So we're interested in people getting on the bus with us, literally uh, coming to events, uh, but even more importantly, to get on the bus in that metaphoric sense, to wake up, speak up and stand up and to engage faith, hope and love in their way forward. And I guess for you know some of the listeners to this, uh, this conversation, if they put up with it this long, I just want to say, look, Jesus had admonition that if you live by the sword, you die by the sword and put your sword away and his admonition that you can gain the whole world and lose your very soul. Um, ask yourself uh, on a regular basis over the next 10 months, um, are you in danger of either of those? Because um, that, is, that is deep spiritual teaching that comes from Jesus that's really good for all of us and, and something that we should, uh, we should take seriously. And I just want to say that... W- the people that are in our pro in, in our in our bus and speak at our events and part of our programming, they are people who are deepening into their faith, and that's what's calling them for this to, to this. They are not people who are trying to deepen into political agendas. And you know, uh, the Book of Philippians uh, says, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others before yourself." And I think as you pursue the common good. Um, that's what you're doing. You're not seeking your own benefit. And Christians who vote for their agenda, not for the common good, are just simply not only violating the call of this country to live in, in harmony with one another, but really the essence of the gospel to do nothing out of selfish gain. Mm-hmm. And we should not be electing candidates. You know, like we, the work we do, we're, we're not traveling around the country trying to elect Christian candidates. We're trying to elect common good candidates. And to some people's surprise, they might find that there's common good candidates who have no faith at all or have very deep faith. Um, and there's people of very deep faith that are not common good candidates. Mm-hmm. They really are about selfishness and about uh, vain conceit. And Donald Trump is one of those. I don't want to argue if he's a Christian or not. I don't care. What I notice in his policies and his, in the way he comports himself is somebody who violates the very essence of what it means to be Christian. Some of my non-Christian friends will, uh, uh, in this world uh, will say things like, boy, if all of you Christians would just say, who would Jesus vote for? I don't think you can answer Trump. Um, you know, I don't tend to put things in the frame of what would Jesus do? I think Jesus's question to all of us is, what will you do? Right. Not what did I do? Um, but I get the point that they're raising of, you know, hey, do you really think that the Jesus you read of in the Gospels would be all for this? Do you really think Jesus would say, sure, sure, go with this guy? Go with, you know, Donald Trump, because you're going to get judges out of it. Do you really, does anybody really believe that's the case? Now, they will say to me, because I hear it every day, that's not our criteria. We don't, we don't think, you know, and, and the, the ball moves all the time. Mm-hmm. You know? Can I just say one more, one, one more thing about, sure, this, Doug. about this as it, relates to, as it relates to abortion? Yeah. And that is this. Um, I want to have pretty deep empathy for people who hold to abortion as morality versus rights. So when you get into a conversation about abortion... Some people are talking about the morality. And so that would be people on the pro-life side. And then people on the, on the pro-choice side would talk about it's a woman's right to choose. Mm-hmm. And there's this battle between morals and rights. But on guns, the two groups tend to switch positions. So conservatives then, who on abortion are talking about morality, now start talking about it's my constitutional right to have a gun. And people like me who are opposed to guns say it's immoral 
to have and to use and to create gun culture. And we have a moral calling to put a limit on guns because of the death that it causes. So you see how we switch sides mm-hmm. where the group that's arguing for rights when it comes to women's right to choose now switch over to morals and the group that was fighting for morals because of, the, of, of how the Constitution um, gives a woman the right to choose move over to the area of rights when it comes to guns. So we share a conflict there, right? And on two significant issues, both groups hold each other's, or make an argument from each other's uh, point of standing. And I think that's a place to recognize in one another that sometimes it's about morals and sometimes it's about rights. So basically what you're doing is trying to recruit or evangelize or call someone to switch their framework from morals to rights. Mm. Uh, now, I think, uh, so, so I think that's some of what's going on. And I think that's what we have to be willing to engage in, in a significant conversation in our, in our society, if we're going to take politics and faith seriously. Well, that's, that's very good. And if, and if I could share a little something as we're finishing up for, for people that may be in your network that listen to this, that don't know our story. My wife was a two-term mayor here in Fresno, California, which is a city of about 500,000 people out on the West Coast. And um, as, a, as a Christian in office, and she, our, our town took great pride, our evangelical part of our town took great pride, is that she was the third consecutive Christian mayor elected in Fresno. She found wow. very, very quickly that Christian mayor in Fresno to the, to the people around Fresno meant exclusive. It meant if you were in the prayer group of the mayor, you got the deal with the city. You got wow. a job with the city. And she very quickly had to say, no, I'm not a Christian mayor. I'm a mayor who represents everybody who happens to be a Christian. And, and so at her events, she would have our, our Sikh leaders and, our, and Mormon leaders and, and Muslim leaders and everybody come and give a blessing for the city, which was very difficult for our evangelical friends here in town. But the thing was that, that we never felt compelled by God to, to make sure that she was standing against abortion. Uh, what, what, what we felt compelled is, is, is God was saying to us, don't enter into any man-made agreement that, that is trying to get a good outcome. It was, it was avoid politics. And that was really my job as her husband was to say, honey, this sounds like you're making a political decision here. And always, always we felt our faith compelled us to like, okay, we need to, we need to step back from this because we're feeling political here. We're, we're, we're calling somebody an enemy. We're calling somebody evil and they're not evil and they're not an enemy. They're just, we're just in disagreement and and we need to step back from that. And by doing that, then everything became what is the right thing for the Jeremiah 29-7 shalom of our city rather than for our stance for God or for our stance against abortion or our stance for this or that or the other thing. And so that's always our encouragement mm. to people. It's like avoiding the political spirit is avoiding partnering with anything man-made to, to fulfill our hope of an outcome for God is is when he starts saying, hey, you're off track, turn it around, get get out of that partnership. And so that's always that's always our encouragement for people out of our experience. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's terrific. Yeah. Well, enjoy your trip uh, through the Rockies on the bus today. Will do, will do, thanks for everything. Okay, Doug, we will see, we'll you, see in- you on Sunday and then, uh, yeah. All right, sounds great. Doug Padgett, the executive director of Vote Common Good in Fresno this Sunday and around the country. Check out, what's the website, Doug? VoteCommonGood.com. 
Very good. All right. Have a great trip. We look forward to seeing you Sunday. We'll talk to you again soon.